Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. is batshit crazy a podcast dedicated to all things strange and unusual with your spirit guides heather and dylan who will take you to the other side subject matter featured on batshit crazy may not be suitable for all listeners listener discretion is advised welcome back to batshit crazy i'm heather and i'm dylan and today you are a little batshit crazy dylan yeah so glad to be back here in the studio and I can't wait for what sh- weird and strange story you found for us now. In the midst of World War II, four boys, Bob Hart, Tom Willits, Fred Payne, and Bob Farmer, found a witch elm tree in Hagley Wood, Worcestershire, while poaching for birds' nests. I must say they have the best forest names in England. Hagley Wood? Isn't that it's incredible? It's like a storybook. I know. Have you ever poached bird's nests looking for little eggs? <laughs> no, I have not, but it sounds like a, um, a dangerous endeavor, climbing up in trees and such. You don't look like you'd be much of a tree climber. No, I'm not. I haven't climbed trees since I was around 10 or 11 because of my um, incredible size and physique. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, the woodland area was part of the impressive grounds of Hagley Hall Estate, owned by Lord Cobham. It happened on April 18, 1943. The boys were trespassing on this particular piece of land, Dylan, ignoring the dangers of getting apprehended by the gamekeeper. They had their little dog with them, and all they wanted was something to take their minds off the harsh realities of war and support their families with some rabbit meat. So these guys are out in the woods trying to hunt down rabbits. Maybe that's not going so well. Now they're poaching bird eggs. So it sounds like this is out of necessity, and they're just trying to take their minds off of the bad things going on. The German bombing raids were causing chaos in Birmingham, where the boys lived. Bob Farmer... The eldest among the boys decided to climb up the tree and see if he could find a bird's nest. He peeked into the hollow trunk from the top where he stood, and he saw something white lodged in the dirt. With a stick, he retrieved this white object from the tree and closely examined it. At first, the boy believed he was holding an animal skull, but upon closer examination, seeing the tufts of hair the dentition and the concise shape, Bob was horrified to realize he was holding on to, dun dun dun, a human skull. Oh my God. I would be surprised and uh, I would just be 
That's going to surprise anyone, right? Well, especially child. I mean, you're not expecting to find human remains anywhere unless you're like in a cemetery. And uh, yeah, I could imagine that he was uh, taken aback. The children panicked, knowing full and well they were trespassing. They agreed to throw the skull back into the hollow tree and quietly flee the area, never to speak about their discovery or return to the area again. They didn't even want to tell their parents what they'd found. So they don't want to tell anyone that they were there, and they're certainly not going to tell them what they saw. Never. I'll never tell. What was that movie? You remember with Brittany Murphy? Oh, I don't remember. There was like a horror movie or something from like the mid-2000s, and I just remember the movie trailer. She would always be like, I'll never tell. Oh, is that, that may be the one with Gothica with uh, Holly Berry. And Brittany Murphy? And she was the patient inside the mental asylum. She was? I think we're right. I don't know. We're I don't pretty think that's good. the film, but okay. The youngest among the boys, Tommy Willits, could hardly remain silent about the incident. This discovery weighed on him so much, he soon told his parents. They immediately contacted authorities about their son's findings. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the that's a logical next step for any parent. The police launched an investigation into the matter. And when they go out to inspect, in the hollow of the witch elm, they found an almost complete skeleton of a woman. Wow. This is so creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the skull, skull alone would be creepy, but then to realize there's an entire set of human remains would be even worse. Her hands... Like the hand bones were missing, and some other bones in her body were later found scattered around the tree. Okay, I would that was likely animals, I would think. After some investigation, a while later, they did find her hand a distance away from the tree. A pathologist, Professor James Webster, was brought into the case. He concluded that the woman was about 35 years old at the time of her death, and she was probably about five feet tall with irregular teeth in her upper dentition. He also believed that the woman had been stuffed into the tree's trunk just minutes after her death. If not, the stiffening of rigor mortis of that whole process would have made it hard to push her body into the trunk of the tree. That's, I think that's a good guess. That is actually, yeah, that's pretty smart thinking. Because it sounds like she was nestled all the way down in the bottom of the opening there and like kind of squished down in there. And if any any bit of rigor mortis had set in, that would be uh, very, uh, very hard to do. It was also noted that the woman had distinctive clothing. She was wearing a woolen cardigan, a light blue belt, and a skirt that had a zipper. A piece of taffeta fabric had been stuffed into her mouth, which suggested she had died from suffocation. The medical examiner also determined that she had given birth at least once in her lifetime. A wedding ring found on her right phalanges indicated that she was either married or engaged before her death. With all of these observations, the authorities knew that they had a murder case on their hands. Professor Webster stated that he couldn't imagine the woman just slipping into this trunk by mistake. Well, yeah. I mean, what's the odds of that, right? Right. I mean, I don't know too many, like, 30-something-year-old women that are just climbing up in the trees and happen to take a nasty spill down a tree trunk. 
No, it's it's uh well, it sounds like a particularly dangerous tree having this hollowed out center, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's just unlikely to happen for anyone. On the other hand, it didn't really make sense um, for her to get into a trunk just to take her own life. I mean, that was ruled out as this was like a suicide. The strongest possibility was that she had probably likely been murdered very close to this witch elm, and then her body was stuffed in the trunk. In search of leads, the detectives first are, they're they're really kind of like just grasping at straws here, and you have to keep in mind this is the 40s, so they don't have DNA, forensics. It's not mm. as modernized as what we get today. No. So they really focused on the woman's dentition with those crooked teeth, and she had some fillings, and she also had some missing teeth. So the investigators sent out samples to dentists around the country in hopes of finding a match. So they're really focusing on the dental work. Nothing significant came out of this. So then the question became, you know, what's this woman's nationality? Was she even British? They also went through several files containing information about, like, missing persons, trying to match the description of, you know, this murder victim. But that didn't really bring anything significant to the investigation either. Her shoes were traced to a shoe company in Lanchester. They were able to find um, all the produced shoes except for six pairs sold off at Dudley. Really? So they were able to trace down where every pair of shoes this company made. Hold on a second. That's kind of crazy. It is. So in the absence of any leads, the investigators turned to the public and asked for their help in trying to identify this lady or even her killers. But months passed and nobody came forward with any tangible information. The media frenzy surrounding the case did gradually die down. And then, as we know, the case went cold. Yeah, something always else happens. Some other headlines come along. You know, the cops, it sounded like they did their best with what information and clues that they did have. And it's just not leading to any other information. Interest in the case was definitely recharged uh, when a strange graffiti appeared in 1944 on a wall in the Upper Dean Street area of Birmingham. This is strange, Dylan. The graffiti read, Who put Bella in the witch elm? More graffiti written in the same handwriting appeared on various surfaces throughout the city. One graffiti referred to the lady as Lou Bella, while another used the name Clarabella. The usage of Bella in the graffiti showed that it's um, whoever was responsible for this. The artist, if you want to call a graffiti, <laughs> a graffiti artist. Oh, well, there's certainly artistic... Uh things to it that this person knew the victim's identity or perhaps her killers but then there was no real basis on which authorities could make a conclusion it could be that someone was simply taunting them with these words you know it could be teenagers just someone who is calling her bella for whatever reason the case gained even more popularity across the united kingdom and the appearance of the mysterious graffiti and these other unanswered questions, uh, it didn't really do much to quell the excitement. I mean, people were like all in. This was a huge mystery. Well, I'm saying this has the uh, all the uh, earmarks of a sensational story. 
the very strange circumstances where her remains were found inside of a tree. Yeah, it's pretty creepy, too. And, uh, yeah, being in the woods and, and this witch elm, which sounds awesome, right? It's a great name for a tree. And, yeah, it has all the uh, all the characteristics of a very sensational story. And then you have this mysterious graffiti artist, you know, possibly knows something or knows the victim. And, uh, yeah, that's a pretty pretty wild tale. A few months after the graffiti showed up, a sex worker presented herself claiming that she knew a fellow sex worker named Bella that had vanished one night back in 1941 while waiting for a man on Hagley Road. That was really all the information she had about this so-called woman named Bella. Almost a decade later, in 1953, a woman contacted the Wolverhampton Express and Star. Again, the British have, like, the best names for shit. (laughs) It's true. With a story about the body in the Witch Elm, she identified herself as, and I'm using quotation marks, Anna of Cleverly. I'm going to start referring to myself as, like, Heather from... Heather from North Carolina. Lady Cleverly. (laughs) During an interview with a journalist, Anna claimed that her ex-husband, a guy named Jack Mossop, had confessed um, that he and his colleague, Van Halt, had killed and stuffed Bella's body in the witch elm. Now, according to Anna, the murdered woman was working in a spy ring. Oh, my God. I know. That collected information from the munitions factories in England and sent them out to enemies. Oh, my gosh. Jack Mossop had confessed to feeding intelligence to this guy, Van Halt, who then relayed all of it to a Dutch woman who turned out to be Bella. And then she was relaying that information to the Nazis. Damn it, Bella. Jack worked at a munitions factory from where he could gather information to be sent out to his friends in Germany. Now, this story, according to Mossop, went that he... This guy Van Halt and this unidentified Dutch woman had gone out to have a drink one night back in 1941 at a pub located in Hagley. Mossop said that an argument had broken out between the woman and Van Halt, and they argued until until she became drunk and eventually passed out. The fight continued in the car as they drove away. Van Halt eventually grew so angry with this woman, he strangled her. And the two men placed her body inside the tree to teach her a lesson. They expected that she would stay unconscious only for the night and would wake up sometime the next day and, you know, kind of realize that, like, this is, you know, this is what happens to you when you argue with Van Halt. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, you end up inside of a tree. You, you, You end up physically assaulted. And, and until you're unconscious and then you're stuffed in a tree. I mean, that's an age-old lesson every young person has to learn. Don't you mess with Van. You'll end up in a tree. If you do that, you're going to end up in one of them old witch elms. You got to watch out. Damn, it happens all the time. And we really need to discuss that. I just, can't you come up with a more reasonable excuse for stuffing her in a tree? Or like teaching her a lesson? Could you just put her in a timeout? Could you just put her to bed and have a, a stern conversation the next day about it? You just like ground her from like having, you know, TV. She can't watch an after school special later. I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm this close to stuffing you in a damned old witch elm. I'm well, telling you what. <laughs> that's you're going to start threatening me with this. Well, she died there. Now, this does not explain that taffeta cloth that had been stuffed inside her mouth. And there was no way to confirm this story. 
For what is known about Jack is that he was transferred to a mental hospital after complaining about some sort of recurring dream in which he saw a woman staring down at him from a tree, but he died before Bella's body was actually discovered. Oh, wow. Van Halt was never arrested, even questioned. Investigators were forced to discard the story because they thought it was hearsay. And she came out with it about 12 years after the body was discovered. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it's kind of hard. That's a type of lead or thing. It's hard to really track down and prove whether or not it's true. Right. I mean, they just felt like this was a woman who was trying to insert herself into this strange, like, local lore. Well, you take someone who already seems to have issues of a certain kind, then I think that's only logical to have that thought. The spy theory came back to life after the discovery of some MI5 files. Now, MI5, is that like the same thing, Dylan, as like MI6? Well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could be. I think that's different departments of the British intelligence apparatus. I've heard of MI6. I've heard of MI6. I've heard of MI5. Uh, I've heard the, the different numbers thrown around. But I think instead of having these separate, you know, three-lettered agencies like we do in America, it's just different. You know, like this might be foreign intelligence. This might be domestic British intelligence. They numeric code. Well, yeah, because gotcha. the, the British are way more just like rational and reasonable about the things you know like even russians they're just like oh you know just do this you know we like to complicate things here in america the files contained credible information about a german spy known as joseph jacobs he had actually parachuted into england in 1941 but broke his leg when he landed he was arrested and handed over to british troops before he escaped during interrogation the members of the British troop found an old photograph of a woman who Joseph revealed to be Clara Borelli, a beautiful actress and a cabaret singer. Now, he described her as his lover who had parachuted into Britain as a spy earlier that year before losing connection with the German spy network. There is no possibility that Clara was a woman found in the tree because Clara stood at and they had it listed as 1.78 meters tall. Right. Okay. While the woman in the tree appeared to only be like 1.52 meters in height. So uh, that, that's quite a bit of inches of difference for the, the you know, Americans. Um, that, that's quite a bit different in, difference in size there. Well, it came out later that Joseph's granddaughter in 2016 said the real Clara had died from poisoning a year after Bella's body was discovered in the Witch Elm. Witchcraft in a Dark Ritual is another theory that's floated out there, Dylan. According to an anthropologist who was kind of invited in to help with the case, said that the woman in the tree may have been a victim of a black magic ritual known as the Hand of Glory. <laughs> oh, wow. Hallelujah. I was a victim of the Hand of Glory last night. <laughs> Damn, where was I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, where was this? How do you know you didn't wield these glorious hands upon which touched me, boom? <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Even no, know what you're saying. Yeah, it was you. There, there's like a British listener out there who hates you now. Just don't even try. Yeah, I'm that sorry accent. about all that. Stop. Margaret Murray reached this conclusion after noting that the woman's hand had been severed from the body, which was 
very similar to this ritual, the Hand of Glory. She believed that the woman's death was related to the murder of a man named Charles Walton, who had been killed and pinned to the ground with a pitchfork. Now, according to Murray, the fact that the woman had been placed in the trunk of this witch elm after death was also a significant factor which suggested this was all a ritual. Now, her theory gained a lot of popularity and the press had a field day with it, but investigators were very dismissive for various reasons. I mean, they were just like, uh, no. Can I say these are some pretty wild um, murders or remains being discovered? A man murdered with a pitchfork and pinned to the ground with it? Yes. I mean, my God, imagine that. Well, I was just going to tell you a story. Um, I don't know if people want to hear this, but I mean, I, you know, growing up in Appalachia, you know, a lot of interesting folks. And um, I knew someone whose mama got stabbed in the head with a pitchfork. This would have been like many, many years ago. And, okay. And the bitch lived. Really? Yeah. Well. She like got into some sort of a heated debate with neighbors, like a land dispute or something. And the the neighbor man got mad and stabbed her in the head with a pitchfork. And that bitch lived. <laughs> well, hey, her, why she got to be a bitch? With her damn pitchfork stab head. I could just imagine. Be like, God damn it, Sheila, I done told you. Say one more word and I'm going to hit you with this damn pitchfork. Why she got to be a bitch? I don't know. Maybe she was a bitch, Dylan. Maybe I know more about the story than you do. That's okay? true. It's my story. That's true. So 70 years later, this mystery endures. I mean, people interested in the story are left with more questions. In a bizarre twist of events, Dylan, Bella's remains have since vanished after being passed around due to multiple investigations. Oh, my God. So you reckon they could just get misplaced? Because, I mean, I'm sure they're like in a box or something, right? Well, no one can say for sure if this was done to cover up some sinister, like, conspiracy type of thing or if the evidence was just innocently lost and misplaced well you 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 could imagine it doesn't matter what happened to the remains because it's only going to fuel the you know conspiracy theorist and, and stuff like that now her being part of a spy network actually carries a little water in my mind that actually makes more sense because if you do than you, any of these other stories yeah you had a lot of that in, in europe at that time with the world war ii cranking up right and uh I'll, and if you were to um for whatever reason, decide to murder this poor woman. Um, you would want to hide her body. Uh, very good, which was done. Very, very good. Very goodly, you, or very efficiently. You wouldn't want to hide this body very well, yeah. You wouldn't want her remains discovered. You want to make your exit out of the area, especially if you're a stranger to the area. And so, say you meet, and, and it would be a, uh, the reason why we met in this desolate wood. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that actually uh, could possibly be true right there. I think it makes sense that she was some type of spy. Yeah, because, well, you say that and people think James Bond, but a, 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 a proper spy network's going to need all kinds of people feeding little tidbits of information into it. Right. You don't necessarily have to be the, the uh, leading head person or, you know, really know your spy craft or be a state player. To be part of, a, of some network like this. Well, no. We were watching, at one point, that Netflix show. What was it called, Dylan? Ah, uh, yes. It's called Turn, Washington Spies. It has Jamie Bell. Yes. The actor Jamie Bell. I like him a lot. Um, and Heather Lind. She plays a character on the show. I like her. It's very interesting. Yeah. And, and he's a farmer and gets recruited to be a spy 
for the colonists or like the patriots. Yeah, it's the Revolutionary War is the setting and obviously the colonies versus the British. And it's very interesting because, I mean, you could imagine the people that see the most or would be uh, privy to the most pertinent information would be people like the stable boy or the the house a house servant servant or someone who clears the chamber pots or there or serves food. These are the types of people who are going to hear things when these people talking about important stuff are at their most comfortable and, and feel you know like they can openly talk about these things. So yeah, it takes a lot of people. And a lot of uh, unprofessional people, just regular folk, feeding information into a network like this. So, yeah, it's quite possible that uh, the Lady of the Tree could have been part of something like that. For whatever reason, Dylan, I have always found espionage to be so, like, fascinating. Oh, yes, yes. I've always, uh, anytime I see a story like this, I want to dig deeper into if it is about a spy network or the spying that... Uh, one country, one nation will do on another because the lengths that they go to to acquire information will just blow your mind. You can never imagine all the things they try. Well, we know one of the most effective ways to gather data and information about whatever organization that's been targeted is by infiltrating its ranks. So you have this espionage agent or a spy, and they return information back, you know, and it helps strengthen the enemy forces. And I just think this is really interesting. Of course, there's corporate espionage, people trying to steal technology, sabotage other businesses or other rival companies. Counterintelligence is also um, the practice of like thwarting enemy espionage and intelligence gathering. And almost all nations have strict laws concerning espionage. And the penalty, if you recall, is pretty severe, as we know. Yeah, a lot of people don't even think about corporate espionage. I think that's more prevalent, especially nowadays, than actual, you know, spying. But if you don't think, we, we still hack other countries. They hack us. We, we, you know, try to listen to each other's conversations. I was listening to this one podcast. It was about uh, when America put the embassy in Russia and how they had to send every piece of a, a electronic equipment stuff back to America to be properly and thoroughly searched um, to make sure there was no bugs or listening devices or anything like that on it, and then um, sent back because they didn't trust anybody, anybody in Russia to help them, you know, go through this equipment. And they spent all this time and money, months and months, to send all the stuff over here, have it properly checked out, and then sent back to, you know, like man the embassy. And, and they still missed things. Missed P, uh, there was new technologies they didn't even know about, and uh, that was actually listening to people in the embassy for years. It's so fascinating. Oh, my God. If, okay, hypothetical situation. Okay. Let's just say someone approached you and they wanted you to be a spy. Okay. For your government in like right. a wartime situation like this. Or even worse, an enemy approached you and wanted you to be a spy. Let's okay. Let's say you had access to information for the right price, would you be willing to put your neck on the chopping block and be a spy? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think money would be a proper motivation for me. Uh, it would take uh, thinking maybe possibly that my government's in the wrong or, you know, it would take, I think, a moral immoral, ob- a moral obligation or something. Or um, if I was f- afraid for my life, 
you know, in, in my uh, home country or something, and I was doing this to get myself somewhere safe, me and my family, I think it would take something like that to be, I don't think monetary reward would be enough. Not me. I could totally be bought. So if you're listening <laughs> and you're a foreign uh, agency out there and you are looking for some um, ditzy, like middle-aged, sort of like punk rock woman to like. Okay. Yeah. Um, hit me up. I, I have a price. I can be bought. Now, Just see, saying. nowadays the attacks <laughs> and the spying looks quite different. It does. And, and, and is that going to be like old school spy who's yeah. got like my trench coat and my little hat and I'm like smoking a cigarette and like lurking in alleyways like a film noir spy or like I'm sitting on a park bench with my newspaper. Okay. Casually just being all clandestine with my so spying. So you're, you're ready for to do a cold drop. You're going to have some kind of signal you're going to send to the person bringing you the info, whether it's okay to do it or not. It's going to be something mundane, something no one else will notice. Maybe a corner folded down on your uh, the left or right of the newspaper you're Maybe holding Maybe I up. lick my lollipop or my, my ice cream cone like three times, and that's when you know that's the signal. Oh, my God. If I've got mint chocolate chip, then you know the deal's going down. But if you... I've got a strawberry cone, then fuck off yeah whatever signs that you want symbols you want to use yeah and then they're going to come by and they're going to sit on the same park bench as you but they're just going to they're going to bring a paper too and then you're going to they're going to lay the paper in the middle and then you're going to fold your paper up and kind of you know exchange the papers while no one's looking and hope that you're not um having to run counter surveillance at this point to make sure you're not being i just hope that when i'm a spy i get an aston martin and i'm as cool as james bond okay yeah I want to I wanna have sex with beautiful women. Okay. That's part of the deal. So you and Pussy Galore are going to hook up? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, a man didn't write that book or script to have a character named Pussy Galore, right? Mm-mm. That's totally... That like has, a whole movie called Octopussy? Yeah, that, that totally, you can tell that that was really a born, born of a female's mind, right? Seems legit, Dylan. <laughs> That's funny. My mom said back in the day when James Bond was you know popular and coming out, her and her brother and their friends would be wanting to play James Bond, you know, and she always had to be um, the girl. One of the very uh, oversexed <laughs> yeah. female characters with a stupid name. Yeah, so they're running around the backyard arguing about who gets to be James Bond. Who or, gets to be Tits McGee. Yeah, but and or no, Pussy Galore was the one she did not want to portray Pussy Galore she was screaming, I don't want to be pussy galore. I, I, you know, I don't want to be pussy galore. And, of course, her grandmother came out there and whooped everybody in sight for running around the backyard screaming about there's pussy galore. Okay, that's a fun story. Yeah, there you I go. That. Okay, maybe we could just have a podcast where we tell good, wholesome family stories. Dude, and we'll call it My Mama Said. My Mama Said. Dude, I like that. Uh, someone's going to steal this idea. Oh, my it's God. Gold. Well, Dylan, thank you for joining me on this seventh episode of Batshit Crazy. Yes, like I said, it's great to be back, and I cannot wait to see the strange and weird tales we get into next. From now on, you can find us... Uh, anywhere you download podcasts, and we'll drop episodes on Thursdays. All right. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Batshit Crazy Pod. We can't wait to uh, see you guys next week. So bye, Dylan. Bye, Heather. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.